Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over this weekend in racing. Um, we're going to stray from our uh, usual format this week and we're going to devote an entire hour to IndyCar and the IndyCar season opener in St. Pete. With that in mind, let me introduce you to the panel I have assembled tonight. Uh, with me in the studio, race engineer Richard Uden. I've got Joey Barnes from IndyCar.com. Christopher DeHarty from Motorsports Tribune, and joining us for the first time on the program, Mike Yoakum from Pit Lane Parlay. Now, Mike, did I pronounce your name right? Uh, it's it's Jokum, but you know, Jokum. It's, it's, it's all the same. I, I want to call you Joaquin, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Um, now, before we jump into IndyCar, let's acknowledge that there was a NASCAR race, okay? Kevin Harvick won his third in a row. Um, he was followed to the line by Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, and Martin Truex. Uh, the race was in Phoenix. NASCAR will next be at Fontana as Harvick tries to make it four in a row. Um, good season for the Ford cars, but uh, based on this top five, look like the Toyotas are um, climbing back up there. So uh, with that being said, let's talk about the IndyCar season opener. Um, this is probably or realistically one of the most anticipated season openers uh, in IndyCar in years and years and years, you know, even more so than the reunification uh, in 2008. You know, we've got the new uh, iteration of the car, reskinned. Everyone's excited about it. Uh, Less downforce. We've got a huge crop of rookie drivers um, out there to uh, display their talents. Um, In the race, we saw a familiar winner at St. Pete, Sebastian Bourdais, uh, repeating there, coming back from injuries. We saw a great battle between a rookie driver and an Indy 500 winner uh, that came down right to the end there. Um, Just a lot to talk about, but uh, Mike, I want to start with you because you're new to the show. Um, One thing that I observed was that we uh, had some pretty impressive rookies in the field there. Uh, You know, of course, Robert Wickens, who who drove about 107 really great laps out of 110, and um, Matty Leist, Matthias Leist, um, who uh, did really well in qualifying, had some troubles in the race. Jordan King took a turn at the front, uh, past Wiggins on the track. Um, and then we saw some of the um, 
the veterans struggle. We saw TK make a mistake, uh, Will Power, uh, Dixon had a few uncharacteristic mistakes, and Rossi to a certain extent with the mistake on the uh, last pass there. So I, I was reading some comments, and they said that uh, the problem is that these drivers have a lot of muscle memory, and they're driving the car as it used to drive, and the rookies who've got no experience in the previous iteration are driving the car as it drives. So, Mike, is there validity to that? that these guys are just relying on old muscle memory uh, when they get in the in the action? Yeah, I saw I saw that same comment. I think it was Graham Rahal who said that Sunday or, or Monday after the race. It, it's probably true to a certain extent to, you know, some of the drivers, maybe the less talented veterans that maybe are in the field. But I don't think it makes too much of a difference. You know, we saw Will Power fight his way back up from an early spin. Hinchcliffe was up there the entire time. Uh, Dixon recovered from his mistakes, so I don't think it makes a huge difference in, in the grand scheme of things, but uh, you know, as you saw, Dixon made an error, you know, Will Power spun early, and, and some of these guys kind of struggled to find their footing early on, but you know, after the first couple laps of the race are you know, kind of you know, in the books, it seemed like most guys started to uh, you know, settle in. Yeah, but again, you know, and a great, great start for some of these rookies. And, uh, you know, Joey, you and I were talking that some of these guys that came out of the light series uh, would benefit from uh, from that because the car drives a bit similar to the chassis they've, uh, they've worked with there. But, let's, Joey, let's talk about Robert Wickens for a while because you, uh, you made some observations about uh, Robert during Phoenix testing where he was rather aggressive and, and, and kind of uh, chopping in front of other guys. Uh, and uh, we kind of speculated he might have a, a tough go. But uh, here on the road course, he was pretty darn impressive. Joey, what are your thoughts on uh, Robert Wickens and what the rest of his season, how the rest of his season is going to unfold? I mean, this is kind of in his wheelhouse, isn't it? Like running a running a road course, street course like this. I mean, he he came from uh, was a World Series Renault back in the day, and and then obviously DTM most recently. But you know, let's see what happens when he gets to an oval. Uh, the season hasn't quite started. I it sounds NASCAR esque, but I don't really think the season starts until we get to Phoenix, uh, just because we've got this long stretch of three to four weeks off uh, before we get there. So. I think the oval game is something that's going to be tricky for all these rookies um, just because the car is a different animal and the nature of ovals in general are a different animal. So that said, um, I'll hold off on the whole last pass, how I feel about that whole thing. But I think Wickens, I mean, he showed up. He did a hell of a job. Uh, I think it's interesting to know that he's one race into this and he's already showing stronger pace than Hinchcliffe. Um, That's... You know, we'll see what, what carries over for the remainder of the season. But um, certainly, Schmidt-Peterson, the one concern I had was the engineering and all the other staff that's been brought in from a technical standpoint and just the lack of continuity they've had. But uh, what do we know? Uh, obviously, it didn't really seem to matter whenever he went out there and snatched pole. Uh, granted, he had some dry spots there at the very last of qualifying, which was fun, but still you got to show the pace. you got to stay up front. you got to do the job, and he certainly did the job on Sunday, all but the last two laps of it. So, um, yeah, hell of a run for him. Hell of a run for him, yeah. So, And, and Joey, you and I speculated that uh, Schmidt-Peterson might struggle this year, and, and they – well, they certainly, like you said, what do we know? Uh, but, uh, Chris, um, one of the teams that did struggle, um, other than uh, Will Power, you know, qualifying P2 and then, uh, you know – kind of having a clause way back after the mistake on the, the opener, a mistake or bump or however you want to call it. But uh, Team Penske really not 
in the mix? Um, I, I, you think this a, it's a Penske problem, a Chevrolet problem, or is it just an uncharacteristic one-off uh, with the new car and they'll be tough to beat the rest of the year? I think Honda might have had a bit more power underneath them. I mean, they had, what, the first seven positions or so? I think they had eight out of the first nine. Uh, top, um, top six, yeah, highest finishing Chevrolet was New Garden in seventh. I wouldn't credit this as <coughs> um, a big Penske to do. I mean, this, it's only the first race of the year. I mean, after all, they didn't win St. Pete last year either, and New Garden won the title. So um, let's not look too much into it right now. Um, although, given how bad Penske performed, where New Garden didn't even make the second round of qualifying, I, I maybe would look more at the qualifying pace rather than the race pace because, let's face it, um, St. Petersburg does not necessarily, you know, indicate how the rest of the year is going to go. No, it certainly doesn't. Uh, ask uh, Sebastian Bourdais that. So, but um, so Joey says uh, Joseph Newgarden was among the top five in most passes made, and we did see, I believe the the number was three hundred and sixty six passes made. And uh, if, if Seth was here, our numerologist, he would tell him tell us who they all were. But uh, well. We don't have any time for that, but uh, Rossi at thirty-one, thirty-one for Rossi. Yeah. So um, now, uh, Richard, you're our race engineer, so uh, you've got had a chance to see uh, the the new cars and how they perform compared to the old cars. Um, you know, a lot of talk about the um, lack of uh, downforce in the back and, and the sliding and the and the marbles on the track and how that affected the car. So, just overall, what are you, what are your thoughts and feelings from an engineering standpoint on this new car and, and what we're in store to see the rest of the season. Uh, a couple of quick, very, very quick points. Firstly, uh, how many passes was that for Rossi? Was it 31? 31, yeah. That's really 30 and a half, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think one of the most interesting things coming out of the weekend was actually post-race, I think it was maybe yesterday, um, comments by Tim Sendrick saying that he doesn't want the race to become too spec. Um I think what, and we've talked about this many, many times on on this show, and I know I've, I've raised it a number of times, you know, these bigger teams, you know, the likes of the Andretti's, the Penske's, the Ganassi's, they put a lot of money into the into their program. They don't want to be beaten by the smaller teams. They want to be able to flex their muscles and spend their money because that's why they've got their money. That's why they demand the big sponsorships from the Verizons, the Menards, and, and guys like that. Um so it, it obviously there is a certain amount of it's a new setup, it's a new configuration, it's a new chassis, it's a lot of learning going on. But I mean, these guys have done a lot of testing, and the simulation tools that Honda and Chevy all have are pretty advanced these days. So I'm surprised at how some of these bigger teams did struggle. And again, there's maybe a little bit of this, as was mentioned earlier. You know, the, the, the guys coming in, the drivers being, ah, oh, you know, we're driving on how the old cars driven. Well. Again, you've had plenty of practice, plenty of testing. Um, you know, th- th- these guys are good. You know, they're really good. You, they should not have that as an excuse anymore. Um, I mean, but also, at the end of the day, you know, Robert Wickens, you know, he's, he's an extremely talented driver. Um, you know, he, he's not a, a rookie in sort of a, you know, the, in the NASCAR world, the William Byron's a rookie sort of stuff. Uh, you know, this guy's been around, he's raced in a lot of categories, he's been very, very successful, and he's racing a lot of different styles of car. So he's, you know, jumping from car to car is not going to be an issue for a guy like that. 
Um, and I'm sure that within a race or two, you know, everybody will get back in the stride and Penske will start to come towards the front and Ganassi will start to come towards the front. And, you know, these guys that you expect to be, you know, in the top six um, will we'll start to will start to be there. Um, but there was a little bit of clumsy driving going on out there again. You know, you could tell, almost tell that it's been a long time since these guys have been, you know, on the track sort of next to each other. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, how it pans out in the next few races. Absolutely. So let's talk about the pass for the lead uh, there at the end, or the attempted pass for the lead. Um, and because there's a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, speculation out there, um, the, a lot of folks are blaming Rossi. Rossi's taking a beating on social media. Rossi's throwing it back at Wickens. Uh, Paul Tracy said Wickens left the door open. Why shouldn't Rossi go for it? Uh, in my mind, it was uh, looked like Wickens tried to, to to keep the inside, you know, forcing Rossi to pass in the outside. The, the track was pretty marbly, but um, you know, uh, Rossi was going to go for it. Uh, one way or the other. So um, I'll start with you, Mike. Uh, really quickly, everybody thoughts on this last pass is uh, penalty for Rossi, yes or no? Um, you know, mistake by Wickens, yes or no? What do you think, Mike? First off, I don't have an issue with the pass. You know, going for the win there on the last lap. You know, going into a part of the track that has a ton of marbles may not have been his best idea. But as Paul Tracy said, you know, Wickens moved over just slightly so he wouldn't get called for blocking and. And that opened up just enough of a window that Rossi thought maybe he could squeeze it in there. Was it a great idea? Probably not. But I don't have any issue with him going for the win on the last lap there. All right. Joey Barnes? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have an issue with it either. I think when you look at the angle that Wickens going into one, it was much, a much sharper angle um, and maybe crowded Rossi a little bit uh, with the marbles and with the curbing. I look at this as a situation where think about where he's lined up for turn two. If if Wickens swings that wide enough, he's already set up for turn two with Rossi on the outside, and he's able to hold him off anyway, getting through two. So I I really don't think that that was a move that needed to be defended so heavily in turn one because I'm focused more on making sure that I've got the inside coming out of two. So no penalty, no problem with the move. All right, and and Christopher. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the move. The, issue, the only issue I have is that well, I was talking to Wickens on pit lane afterwards, and he said, you know, I, t- I asked him if he was in Rossi's shoes, would he have done the same thing? He said, I would have settled for P2 because having that in my first IndyCar race is a dream. I think I don't believe him in that case. I think Wickens honestly would have gone for the same move Rossi did um, because you're a race car driver. You're paid to win. You're not paid to, you know, just settle like that. Um, so... Do I wish it could have gone on where they didn't have contact? Absolutely. But I don't fault Rossi for making the move because, let's face it, um, he's there to win. He's not there to just, you know, lay back. Yeah, and, you know, and if he'd have pulled off the pass and took the win, he'd be a hero. It'd be the move of the year, you know? Absolutely. The move of the young year so far. So, And, and Richard, you, you want to weigh in on this? Yeah. For, Formula One guy not used to passes for the lead. Oh. <laughs> um I think it was clumsy by Rossi. I think that he, you know, put himself in a, in a, in a position where that could happen. Uh, you know, from Wickens' standpoint, a little bit naive maybe to expect that somebody of Rossi's experience and, um, you know, isn't going to try and make that move. But I said it was a little bit clumsy when, when Rossi sort of lost the back end there. It's like, nah. 
I, I don't think there's a penalty, but I, I think there's, you know, it probably wouldn't hurt ahead of the next race from everybody, or, you know, the drivers to all sit down and say, hey, look, come on, guys, you know, let's just. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Think about what we're doing here and understand what's at stake, because it really did sort of spoil the end of what was a fantastic race. Uh, and nothing against Sebastian Bourdais, you know. He, he's won the race. He's done what he needed to do. He kept his nose clean. He, he probably was sit, sitting there on that last restart singing, hey, you know, I want to back off a little bit here because these guys quite easily could trip over themselves. So, uh, you know, not taking anything away from him winning the race. But, uh, yeah, it was almost clumsy. It was almost a little bit of a letdown to the end of what was a fantastic race and a fantastic weekend. Yeah, almost, yeah, Bourdais was ready to to, um, you know, just go ahead and uh, finish up. But, I mean, just keeping his eye where he's at. Graham Rahal made the comment, too. He says, yeah, it's just way too marbly to try to make a move. I'm going to settle for P4 and get some points. Ends up on the podium. You know, yeah, exactly. Th- th- yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, it's all about being in the right place at the right time. And uh, let's talk about Sebastian Bourdais for a moment because one year ago um, he, uh, you know, came out of the box with the win at St. Pete. Uh, great run. Great runs in the next couple races. And we were talking about his – potential to bring a championship to Dale Coyne Racing for the first time in that team's existence. Um, getting off to another good start. I mean, you know, mind you, he didn't have a, a car fast enough to contend for the, for the lead, but a combination of strategy, um, great pit work, and a little bit of luck put him in that position where he was the victor at the end of the day. But, uh, Joey, do you think that there's um, a possibility, and I know it's really early that, uh, you know, with this new equalizing effect with the new car, that we could see Bourdais seriously challenge um, the Penske's, Ganassi's, and Andretti's of the world for a championship. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we've been talking about how, even though it's a new car, talent transcends, and Bourdais has some of the best talent out there. So, you know, I look at this from an aesthetics point of view. This kind of looks like the old champ car in some respects, uh, which he obviously had a lot of success in, but obviously it races a little differently. But as we can see, he he clearly has the pace, and if you're able to put the pace together at a place like St. Pete, which does lack grip, which you do slide around a lot. Uh, it's a tough street course. You know, I'd look for him to, to back this up I, at, at Long Beach, at Barber, and things like that. I think the, the kicker here is, is you know, what are they going to be able to do on ovals to, to just manage everything? Because I think that at Indy last year, and Chris, you were with me in quali- during qualifying about this, is just his pace at Indy. I think had the incident not happened in qualifying, he hands down would have been a contender on Sunday. And because that's, that's the best I've ever seen him primed and ready to attack the Indy 500. And we all know that Bourdais is not necessarily known as an oval master beyond a couple of interesting runs at Milwaukee. But, uh, you know, I think that you had that combination along with Vassar coming on board and Sullivan. I think this is a a good situation for Bourdais. And I think they're going to, they're going to be a tough team to handle for the entire season. I mean, as is as is Ray Hall as well. I mean, finishing P2, we saw some pace out of them in Phoenix during the test, even though they got a late jump on, on everything, just like Bourdais' team did. Clearly, 
manufacturer testing was overrated because all the complaining that we had heard about, I mean, when I'm looking at the, the scoreboard right here, you got to go down to P4 James Hinchcliffe to see somebody that was involved in manufacturer testing that actually did anything. And behind him was Scott Dixon at six, and you got to go Newgarden. But, you know, for the most part, there's a pretty good mix of people that did and did not do manufacturer testing that ended up on the to- in the top ten. Yeah, without yeah, a doubt. Was- and I'm glad that you brought up Ray Hall. And Chris, uh, yeah, because I was going to say that of the teams that could contend with the Penske, Ganassi, you know, and, and possibly Andretti, I think Ray Hall's right up there. Now, Chris, go ahead with your thought. I'm sorry. I want to say um, when you look at the – guys that are at the top step up here, the top of the mark, you know, Dale Coyne, they still don't have everything figured out, um, maybe 100% like how Penske and Ganassi normally you would expect them to. They do have a smaller engineering department. They do have a smaller, you know, team, smaller payroll overall. But they're doing the most of the least. They also have great people, though. Um, Craig Hampson is an amazing engineer. Robin Miller said that if he was starting an IndyCar team, Craig would be the first person he would hire. Um, in my opinion, you're going to have – If it doesn't matter how big you are. It, what matters is what you do with what you have. And quite frankly, Coin has shown that if you put the right people in the right places, you don't necessarily need the right best people. You just need the right people, and they've, they've shown that. Um, will this form continue for the rest of the year, though, is still too early to see. Yes, absolutely. Now, speaking of smaller teams and rookie drivers, I was pretty – Impressed with uh, Jordan King uh, in qualifying, and uh, you know, his race, race day wasn't quite as good there. But uh, King is—he's pretty much, uh, you know, I'd, he's rather unknown in the United States. But he's—he uh, comes from a very wealthy British family. His his dad was a C- CEO of a major grocery store company uh, in all of Great Britain. Um, his folks have certainly helped him uh, with his racing career. He's certainly bringing money to the team there. But uh, the guy's got a pretty good pedigree. He was a you know, Formula 1 test driver. But uh, So uh, Chris uh, and or Mike, you guys, were at the you guys get a chance to, to talk with uh, young Jordan King at all um, and his thoughts on his first IndyCar race? I didn't. I don't know if, Chris, you got to talk to him. I did not. Okay, well that went nowhere. <laughs> so, but uh, just like Matthias Lice race. Oh, oh, yep, yep. Poor. Uh, well, to be to be fair to 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 Laced, um, he did have an, uh, he did lead the first practice session. He did qualify. I think he qualified third or fourth. Third, yes. um, third, and you know he just I think he had a gearbox failure that just started a snowball, hit the rest of his bad luck into having an incident between turns three and four. But, uh, to his, to Lace's credit, he left St. Petersburg last year after the uh, Indy Lights weekend last in points, just like he is this year. He fought back to finish fourth in points, so let's not uh, count him out just yet. No, I, I was think- yeah, I was pretty impressed with him uh, through qualifying and whatnot. Go ahead, Mike. I think he had a, you know, a good weekend overall, obviously, some unlucky parts there at the end and i think he had a, a part failure that caused him to go into the wall and you know jordan king kept surprising me you know throughout the, the qualifying rounds coming out of nowhere leading the you know the first round and, and being in the top three in the in the final 12 to get into the fast six and he just always you know quietly seemed to go about his business the entire weekend which is probably why neither of us got to talk to him because he just kind of kept to himself but uh very impressive debut for him overall 
Yeah, and I always, you know, whenever it comes down to the Ed Carpenter situation with the splitting the splitting the one car, you know, between the ovals and the road courses, I know this benefits Ed, uh, so Ed can still drive, you know. And it was it was great when it was uh, Mike Conway because Conway had wanted nothing to do with ovals, okay? But uh, you know, like in this situation, or you know, or this situation with Spencer Piggott, you know, I really think that uh, you're number one, you're 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 limiting him. There's no chance for a championship. You know, not that, uh, you know, Jordan King may be a championship contender, but, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, six races, he's going to get zero points because he's not starting. Uh, but you're also taking him out of, you know, rookie of the year consideration uh, unless he has some stellar results. So I just, I just, I just almost think it's time for Ed to either just enter an extra car for himself or to step aside and really um, develop the driver. I think that uh, Spencer Piggott's going to show us so much more this year uh, with a full schedule rather than a partial. Joey, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think that you look at a situation like that, I feel like if Ed had the money, that would be a no-brainer. I feel like you run into a situation with teams like Ed Carpenter Racing where – there are a little bit of that sponsors tied to him being in that car uh, versus having somebody else in there full time. So, uh, you know, obviously, and he's talked about this in the past, the perfect scenario would be to run two full time cars and him in a part time entry. But the resources and the budget just isn't there to warrant that. Um, I remember after manufacturer testing uh, or not manufacturer testing, I'm sorry, after open test in Phoenix a month ago, they actually stayed the extra day after to run Jordan King on the Phoenix Oval on Sunday. So, you know, there is a little bit of trying to get him up to speed, uh, and I think they are exploring options to see what they can do to run him on the Oval. And But i, I got to be honest, like, at what point do you really care about, and this sounds harsh because a lot of us would care about if we got rookie of the year or not, but, you know, look at Spencer Piggott. Versus Gabby Chavez. Gabby Chavez went out there, won Rookie of the Year, pretty much ended up part-time ride the very next year, whereas Spencer Piggott had to go through two years of part-time, and now he essentially has his oval baptism this year by running a full schedule after two years in a part-time seat. I would probably rather favor the Piggott seat being in a program like this versus what Gabby's had to go through because, I mean, that's that's gut-wrenching to go through a full year and then have to go back to partials before you bounce back, and it's tough to get back. So, um, but yeah, as far as Ed goes, uh, I think that time's coming. Uh, I just think that it's a matter of putting all the pieces in the right place. I think that he's going to be somebody that as we get further into the years, he's going to be somebody that you notice kind of maybe building up a team of two and three cars with maybe that partial seat. I, I like how he grooms drivers, how he grooms Spencer was, was brilliant. And I think it's going to pay dividends this year. Right, and he's also, you know, did really well with uh, Joseph Newgarden the, the year they were together with uh, with Sarah Fisher. So, yeah, so that's so. And uh, yeah, so um, so let's talk about some of the new teams. We've got Harding, we've got Carlin, we've got uh, Yunkos, uh, all in there. Uh, who wants to to jump in and take a stab at uh, talking about one of these teams here? I'll go in about Carlin. Um, I actually talked to Trevor after the race is over, and he said, "Well, on the one hand, we yeah, we did a good job. We you know got two cars at the end of the race. But on the other hand, we didn't do a good job because um, we finished nineteenth and twentieth. And I mean, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to win, and we're here. Well, only a phrase. We're here to actually you know go for the top ten, be closer to the top ten. That was his expectations. Um, I like the attitude. I like how you know he's very competitive." Um, I think Chilton said after the um, 
I know Kimball said after the race, I think that they tri- doubled or tripled the knowledge that they had of the IndyCar after the weekend was over. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how Carlin bounced back from this. Um, it was also their first street course in an IndyCar, although, well, it's kind of a given because it was their first IndyCar race, but um, they, they, they're they going to be back. Okay. Um, Mike, your thoughts on uh, either Harding or Yunkos or more thoughts on Carlin? Um, I'll, I'll, t- I'll take Harding. I thought, you know, Gabby Chavez had a, quiet but you know not a bad weekend you know not not as great as as their start last year obviously on the ovals but you know they they brought it home in one piece and Chavez seemed you know happy but eager to you know continue to you know similar to Carlin you know improve on results so I thought they had a, a solid but unspectacular first first weekend definitely definitely not a bad weekend all right, and uh, Joey, your thoughts on uh Yukos maybe or or maybe even Michael Shank Michael Shank was down there with Jack Harvey uh, tough weekend. I don't really know anything positive I can kind of throw out there. I mean, Jack was having a, a solid run up until mine and his own until until the incident. But, you know, Rene Bender kind of had a weekend to forget between practices and qualifying. Um, he went off. He went off uh, several times. If I was going to talk about, you know, a couple of drivers that surprised me and impressed me, you know, Ed Jones coming from 17th on the grid to 8th, I mean, you know that was that was pretty impressive given the fact it was his debut with Ganassi Racing uh, to start of his sophomore year, and then um, you know I know not necessarily the greatest thing uh, with Mateus Slice, but he's one of those guys that I'm looking at that when he finally puts this whole thing together and is able to run a complete race, I mean that kid has got absolute raw talent and absolute raw speed, and AJ Foyt uh, may have found their their diamond in the rough with him. So I think it's uh, it's one of those situations that once they finally polish that up and he's able to complete everything, he's going to be somebody to watch moving forward. And I wouldn't be surprised if towards the last half of the year he ends up having uh, having some really good runs. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. So, uh, uh, Mike, anybody else out there that just kind of caught your eye? You know, Marco Andretti maybe is his resurgence year going to be this time or or anybody else out there? Yeah, I'll, I'll take Marco as, as the local Pennsylvania representative on the show here. <laughs> uh, you know, I thought he had a pretty good weekend, and you know, he was running pretty high, uh, you know, third overall for for a while there before he, you know, slipped back and, and finished tenth. But uh, he he was competitive for the most part throughout the weekend, and I think he just missed moving on to the uh, fast twelve by a couple of thousands of a second, if I'm not mistaken. There, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Uh, so I was I was impressed. I think Andretti overall had a much better opening weekend than they have in in uh, a number of years. Yeah, and it would have been uh, even better had a uh, you know Rossi made that stick at the end. So, but uh, let's talk about Rossi as a championship contender. I mean, because I, I really yeah, we've been talking about this for like two years, watching him come up. That uh, I think this may be the year that he's uh, he may have a, a Simon Pagano or a Will Power type year. I, I can I can really see that happening you guys agree disagree yeah I, I think when you see what he was able to put together not just from a single lap pace but from a collective pace I mean the the pace that he put down in that race was unreal I mean he was not in a situation to necessarily be the leader he was always having to chase somebody and he just extracted so much pace out of that car at a place as slick as St. Pete that uh, I mean, I was I was really impressed. I think that he's never, as he alluded to, he's never started a season this strong. But 
regardless of a new car or anything else, we see that he's not making any excuses. And I think a lot of that comes down to, to him and uh, Millis, uh, his engineer, uh, just being together for the start of a year. They were together last year to start off, and they really started to hit their stride around the month of May. And I think this is a continuation of that. And uh, he's going to be he's going to be tough to beat just about everywhere, especially on uh, you know elevated road courses like Barber and, and places like that, Mid Ohio. So he's going to be tough. Yeah, I was about to throw out Watkins Glen that I remembered we're not racing there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. So, Christopher, what other what other great thoughts you have coming out of St. Pete before we kind of move on and start talking about Mazda Road to Indy and uh, Indianapolis 500 entries and whatnot? So, but I know I know you spent the whole weekend at the track, so I want to get some of your some of your thoughts and things that uh, that you saw or heard. Um, well, I love the fact that Schmidt Peterson just another comment about Schmidt Peterson with how much they overhauled their program over the year. Over the winter time, they truly had a fantastic show, and showed that there was money all well spent. Um, I want to say a good shout out here to the fact that Non, even though he had the situation on the first lap, you know he fought back to finish, you know, eleventh. So at least he got that result in, and um, yeah, hey, at least we got uh, a situation where we didn't have too many heavy, heavy incidents, you know, for IndyCar. I mean, yeah, we had the, the situation with Harvey. We had the situation with Wickens and all, but and the one with Lace. But we didn't have anything that was, like, crazy, crazy, crazy bad. So at least we can say, you know, hang our hat on that. Yeah, we've, yeah, got, I mean, we've got plenty to talk about, and not a lot of it's negative. Yeah, go ahead, Joey. Well, I was just going to say that this weekend could be every, it was everything that you could have hoped for. I, I, I can't stop gushing about how the weekend was. I, I just, from from what we saw from a racing standpoint, and I know that Richard talked about these cars, you know, you could tell that these drivers hadn't raced side by side in a while, and it looked a little clunky. I think a product of that was the fact that we finally got to see them run these things in anger uh, for competition, for points that mattered, and I you know, that mixed in with a tough track, mixed in with a car that has been a relative unknown until you got to unload in St. Pete. I, I love the fact that these things are a, are a handful to drive. I mean, that's why we saw such a good show. And, you know, I mean, we got Rossi passing 31 cars. You know, Marco passed 25 cars. Uh, somebody else passed 25 cars. Uh, I think Dixon. And, um, you know, mixed into that, the Penske, we saw struggle a little bit. Um you know, and, and they have all world drivers over there that are obviously going to be coming back. I mean, we got a very nice storyline setting up for the rest of the year, and I I can't stop just getting giddy about what we saw. I mean, we saw you know a rising star and Robert Wickens um, almost take the win, along with a guy who's really started to come into his own and be a championship threat in Rossi. And those two collide, and and the feel-good story of the weekend with Board A getting a win, uh, you couldn't have asked for anything better collectively to to close that. And none of that would have been possible if not for the attaboy from from the AMR, Home Ultra, whatever they're going by, safety team, uh, in just getting Chilton off the track, or getting started, I should say, quicker, and then electing to have kind of just a one race under caution. He's going to start at the tail anyway. Let's fire these things up and go for just a quick, quick hit shootout. Cause whenever he went off and, and, um, stalled out there at the very end, I thought we were going to end under caution from that. And instead we got kind of a nice little edgy finish, which is 
everything this sport thrives on. So um, happy to see that. Happy it wasn't something similar to NASCAR where a piece of metal lays on the track and it takes 15 minutes to get everybody started. So, um, yeah, just overall just excited about the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did get that cleaned up real quick, and I was surprised. Yeah, one lap of yellow went back to green. You know, there some speculation that I guess the lights didn't go off on the pace car, and and Wiggins didn't know we were going for a start. I don't know if I believe any of that, but uh, so my lights did not go out on the pace car actually. Right, right. Yeah, so they wasn't they weren't sure if they were going to green, although the the radio told them they were going green. So I don't. Yeah, they were know. informed before turn ten they were going to head to green. Yeah, it was kind of like an impulse last second decision. It sounded it sounded like on a watching the television broadcast anyway, because they were had to feel like they'd go one more to go, and then suddenly now going green. <laughs> which I mean, give 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 credit to race control for going ahead and getting that you know right back underway. You know, too bad we did end under, under caution anyway. So, but uh, Mike, before we start moving on to talk about the Maserati Indy and the the races uh, that were in St. Pete there. Um, let me get some of your thoughts uh, out of being in the IndyCar paddock and pit lane all weekend long. Yeah, you know, it was amazing how crowded it was even Saturday for the MRTI races and, and qualifying. It was very difficult to move around uh, and get from place to place. Uh, took took longer than I, I really expected it to. And, you know, looking at the stands in, in the, the MRTI races, you know, there was a lot of people watching watching the up and coming racers, which was which was great to see. And I saw a cool stat, which I'm, I'm sure you guys saw online, that this was the first race since Houston in 2014 that neither Penske nor Ganassi led a single lap of the race. So you know, maybe we're getting to a little bit more of a, a parody era here in IndyCar, which is you know, definitely very exciting. Definitely exciting, yeah. And uh, and the other good news, um, like you said, attendance was up this year. The TV ratings were up. You know, they were up a tenth, right, from a point nine to a one point zero. That's eleven percent. Um, so good news there. Uh, a lot of talk about the television package for next year. They're getting close to signing a deal, and we'll talk about that in a in a few moments. But uh, first off, let's go over the Mazda Road to Indy. And Chris, I'll start with you because I know you cover this and follow it closely. But uh, our winners were uh, in Indy Lights, uh, uh, Patricia Award. Patty Award, the Irish guy from Mexico, won. Um, uh, Sante Urida took the other one. Uh, Pro Mazda, Rhinus VK took both races. And in USF 2000, Kyle Kirkwood and Alex Barron were the winners. And that's not the same Alex Barron from CART many years ago. But, Chris, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about some of the highlights from the, um, the Mazda Road to Indy. So, Renus VK winning both Pro Mazda races. Uh, he's the first driver to win both Pro Mazda races at uh, St. Petersburg since uh, some guy named Spencer Piggott back in 2014. Uh, and that year he won the championship. Although a lot of the guys that do win both races at St. Petersburg tend not to win the championship. So, um, moving up to Indy Lights, um, Santi Arusia winning race two. That was humongous for him because he he did not have a good year a good weekend at St. Petersburg last year with you know one race he had a retirement the second race he got a podium but this weekend having a second and a first was fantastic for him in his third season in Indy Lights um, Pato Award um, unfortunately went off uh, in the second race and dropped a few positions so not necessarily ideal for him but. You know, on the bright side, he's only down by eight points to Santi in the championship. 
Uh, the guy who I really feel bad for this weekend in Indy Lights is Aaron Tealitz, though, and the Bellardi Auto Racing guys with all the hardship they had to deal with. Yeah, elaborate on that a little bit for our listeners who, do, who haven't heard the whole story. Oh, yeah, no problem, no problem. So um, Aaron qualified on the pole for race one, and he was qualifying for race two of the weekend, um, which the second qualifying took place for the first race. Um, had a crash, uh, was uninjured, but the tub was damaged enough where it could not be used in that weekend's races. So he had to sit out the first race. They had to um, they talked to a couple of different teams. Uh, Carlin had four Indy Lights cars at their shop in Delray Beach, Florida, which is over 200 miles away. Um, so John Brunner, team manager of uh, Bloody Auto Racing, got into a trailer that Arms Up Motorsports had lent them and drove over to Delray Beach, Florida, met this guy named Adam over there that was a Carlin crew member, got the car. In 15 minutes, he was out of the door and on his way back to St. Petersburg. And then... Um, they got the car prepped overnight. The car arrived at midnight. The crew guys slept in shifts, and then um, Aaron did an installation lap early in the morning on Sunday morning before any of the uh, two-seater or event car rides took place. Uh, he started third, and then um, at the second corner, he was out of the race. It's a bummer. It's a, all that work for that, yeah. So, But, I mean, Tealitz is a guy I, I look at, uh, and Award as well. I, I think these two guys in particular are future stars in IndyCar, you know, provided that they can get, you know, a deal put together, you know, because there's a lot of, a lot of talent goes on, doesn't make it to the top for the fact they can't get a deal put together or can't get a sponsor. But those are two guys that I've watched the last couple of years that are both quite impressive. They have had a big rivalry. Uh, they were teammates in Pro Mazda in 2016. Um, in fact, Award actually won five of the first six races that year in Pro Mazda, but unfortunately, um, the end of his season that year did not come together well. So he's been on the warpath trying to win a championship that he can move up to IndyCars and be the next big Mexican superstar in IndyCar racing. And there's, you know, there's speculation that we need a Mexican superstar in IndyCar racing to get that race in Mexico City they keep threatening to do, you know. So, uh, but that's, it represents a large market. I remember we had guys uh, uh, in, the, in the past, Michelle Jordan, Adrian Fernandez, they, they had tremendous fan bases uh, back in the card era. So that, that was a good thing to have a, have a star from south of the border for sure. Absolutely. All right. Now, now Mike, you, uh, you watched all the uh, MRTI races too. What are, what are your thoughts on some of these young up-and-comers? Anybody, anybody, any new faces in there really impress you? You know, you know, like Chris said, I was pretty impressed with Pato Award all weekend without, you know, one minor, you know, slip up there. He easily wins both races. The second race, he was up by, God, uh, has to be five or six seconds before he, he you know, he made the error. Uh, and then down in Pro Mazda, he did not win uh, either ra- either of the races that came away second points in, in Parker Thompson. Uh, is definitely one of the most uh, fiery competitors I have ever met, seeing him, how upset he was just to finish in second place after race one. And, and I think he finished in fourth in race two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, you know, looked strong all weekend, and, and seeing that competitive drive, you know, lends to me thinking that he's going to have a you know strong year and, and, and move up the paddock next year. Absolutely. Now, Joey, I mean, you pay attention to these, uh, this quite as well. So, what uh, what are some of your thoughts there, other than the fact um, that I that I butchered everybody's name? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, uh, you know, first 
first off, I mean, obviously, Pato, ridiculous speed for the weekend. He has, like, this interesting mindset for this year that's different. I mean, talking to him at Homestead a couple weeks ago, he's so focused on just being consistent. And he, he even said it, you know, if I can't finish first, I need to make sure I finish second. If I can't finish second, I need to do my best to finish third. There's only nine or ten guys in this field. Uh, but the talent is so stacked that you have to do your best to always stay in the top five. And, you know, props to him because the last couple of years, Santi was just gung-ho, like, I must win, I must win, and uh, didn't really think about too much else. And that would, that kind of mindset would get him into trouble, and that's why he's a two-time runner-up finisher in the championship in D-Lights. So I think that this is going to springboard him to really thrive moving forward and go into places like Barber. Uh, next month where he really thrives. But aside from that, I've also got to kind of give a shout-out there to Shelby Blackstock. Uh, you know, he's with Pelfrey. It was a one-weekend, one race-weekend deal, and it was a very last-minute, like, I think that was done five or six days before the race. So they, he was really scrambling because it was believed that he was going to be in the third entry for Bellardi to start the year, but things shook out a little differently. And to go out there and finish runner-up in race two, obviously I know that race two was a little chaotic because we saw you know, Franzoni uh, knock out Tealitz there at the opening sequence. We saw you know, Colton Herta struggle uh, and end up in the wall in the second race as well. But um, you know, regardless, to finish first, you must first finish. And he may have not finished first, but he got a good runner-up result in a, in a weekend that he absolutely needed it moving forward. Um, beyond that, the USF 2000 gaggle of drivers, there's some like 22 cars, I think, that were in the field. And it was an interesting difference. It wasn't just a Cape Motorsports domination. I mean, obviously, Kirkwood went out there and took care of business in race one. But beyond that, you know, I'm looking at, at other guys that, that showed up. I'm looking at D-Force Racing and, and Newman Walks. And, uh, you know, obviously, Alex Barron, who you alluded to, giving uh, Swan RJB their first win. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because his story, that Alex Barron, it's an interesting story because he's a guy who has an Indy Lights win with Bellardi back in 14. He's also got, you know, two other Indy Lights finishes or, uh, or wins, I should say, maybe three wins, uh, lost count, back in 2013. So it's interesting to see that he's one of those guys that kind of ebbs and flows and goes back and forth, but he's still able to obviously show pace regardless of, a different USF 2000 car than what he had driven several years ago. So um, it's, it's going to be a wild year. Um, you know, obviously, Renus VK showed strong pace for the weekend. Uh, I got to also back up what Mike said about Parker Thompson. He showed everything that you wanted to see out of a driver in race one, and that's his first race like Renus's. That was his first race up from USF to Pro Mazda. So um, these USF guys bumped up to Pro Mazda this year have obviously shown strong pace and it's going to be a fun year. Oh, it is going to be a fun year. I, and, you know, as I, as I look at this whole thing, I think it's great that we've got such strong fields in the, the USF 2000 and the, um, and the Pro Mazda uh, because it's a very cost-effective series there. But uh, it just seems like that jump to Indy Lights, uh, you know, is cost-prohibitive. We keep having very, very small Indy Lights fields in there. And I'm just, I'm just wondering if there's anything that, that, that can be done to help, you know, some of these – you know these t- guys jump up from uh from Mazda into Indy Lights when there's just so few uh, folks running that. So and, and uh, you know the obvious answer would be if you know more of your bigger 
IndyCar teams uh, would would do like Andretti and run a lights team. You know, it, it'd be neat to see a development team from Penske, from Ganassi, you know, from from Ed Carpenter. So, um, that, you guys have any thoughts on that, or is it just not going to happen? Penske spends enough on his IndyCar program. I'm not. I mean, go ahead, Mike. Uh, the one thing I'll say, make a quick is, you know, Carlin had you know three or four Indy Lights cars last year, and because of their transition, IndyCar doesn't have any right now. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the the count jump up by a couple, just by the fact that I'm sure by this time next year, Carlin will have a uh, you know a couple guys knocking at the door for you know Indy Lights and with with budget. Yeah, I mean, to kind of back that up, I mean, Carlin talking to him at, at uh, Phoenix at the open test, alluding to that Indy Lights program, he said he had a couple of takers for a part-time campaign, but nothing for a full-time campaign, and that's why he promoted about 80% of his Lights team up to IndyCar. I, I think that, you know, in a weird way, one of their cars did run on Sunday. It just ran for about 500 feet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think that Carlin, certainly that's being missed this year. You know, let's talk about Schmidt because it was just a couple of years ago that, that Schmidt was running uh, a couple of cars out there with uh, Santi making his rookie year with them. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, so I think that once things pan out with this new uh, new car and Indy car with the new body kit and the fact that we see so much of this, this Delara IL-15 from Indy Lights translate chassis-wise to what they're able to drive from feel um, in the IndyCar series, I think we're going to see a little bit more of a focus put on Indy Lights, which is everything you could hope for, like you talked about, with some of these guys going from the IndyCar series and going Indy Lights racing. And I think that's why you see certain guys like Piggott able to, to feel really good in the car, and guys like Veach able to feel good in this car, and I think it's just a matter of time before we see a little bit of that start to blur over. So, uh, But it's going to take some time. All right, so we've got a couple of weeks off. Uh, you know, again, you know, we've got the longest off season, then we got a break right after race one, but we're headed to Phoenix next. Now, Phoenix, the first few years since Phoenix has joined the schedule, um, has not produced a very good race. Um, and I think that the, uh, its proximity to the NASCAR date at the same track, which is now called, what do they call it now, ICS? ISM. ISM. You know, I'll just call it Phoenix. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm used to. Proximity to the NASCAR date kind of uh, hurts them crowd-wise. So um, I, I'm really hoping that um, the, the new car races well on the short oval. Um, the testing seems to uh, indicate that it will. Uh, I, I don't know if it's going to be anything like, uh, you know, the Indianapolis 500 in 2013, but it should be much better than the parade we've seen at Phoenix the last uh, last uh, few years. What say you, Joey Barnes, who watched the test in Phoenix? I, I think it's going to be a decent race. I, everything that I saw from that shows me that. Uh, that said, you know, obviously you're always skeptical because of history, but looking at the fact that, you know, listening to the fact that these guys are having to actually let off going into turn one, you're actually seeing them have a handful coming off a of four. And we saw some of those, like I, you talked about earlier with, with what I noticed with Robert Wickens kind of chopping people off a of two and just getting a few of the cars bunched up there. Uh, whenever you come off a of two and a bunch of guys got to run on you and you cut them off I and mean, you got four or five guys eager to make the pass. So, you know, these cars have a different look to them at Phoenix than what we saw last year. I mean, last year with the, with the manufacturer body kit, 
you could pretty much stand on it almost all the way around and pull incredibly heavy G's. And in here, I'm hearing cars let off. I'm hearing, I'm seeing a handful off of four and seeing guys get a little bit of loose. So I, I think that we're in for a, for a solid race. Uh, you know, let's, let's be honest, flat tracks don't always produce the most passing. What they're supposed to do is present an opportunity there to, to where guys are going to have to make moves that they're not entirely comfortable making. So, you know, we saw that with Milwaukee uh, a handful of years ago. And uh, I think we're going to end up seeing something similar to that come, come Phoenix in April. And I can't wait. I mean, it's just, again, it's disappointing that we have to wait uh, a few weeks for another race. But uh, so let's talk about uh, the television package, okay? Um, you know, ABC, once again, taking a beating on social media about the television coverage or or lack of television coverage. I mean, you know, they missed a couple restarts uh, when they were at commercial. We had a, a no camera angle on the uh, the Will Power incident. We didn't have a really great camera angle on the, the Wickens incident. Um, and folks are almost unanimous in their dislike uh, for Mr. Cheever and Mr. Goodyear. Um, with that being said, AC is evidently one of the finalists to uh, – one of the two finalists to take over the television contract. So um, with that being said, and I know, Chris, you're a big proponent of, of cord cutting and, and you know, and seeing what we need to see on streaming. So uh, what are what do you feel like IndyCar really needs to look at at this television package, and where do you see it uh, actually landing? I think there needs to be a, a good balance. I think there needs to be a good balance between online streaming and network TV. You like it or not, even though cord cutting is gaining strength, there still are a lot of people that have over-the-air TV, have cable, satellite, all that good stuff. Um, there needs to there do needs to be a lot – easy for me to say. There should be every single race on broadcast TV, but there should be additional features maybe on streaming platforms like Netflix or Amazon Prime or on Hulu – um, or on a special IndyCar network you would pay like a certain amount a month for where you would get extra onboard cameras, extra video feeds, extra audio feeds, things like that. And I think that that might be a good thing for the series to do. Um, and, and that's the exact sort of thing Formula One is going to try this year, correct? Uh, from what I heard, yep. yes. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out, and, you know. But continue. Um, the momentum against cable and satellite and everything else like that has been growing over the last few years um although it's hard to tell what's going to be the next replacements i mean youtube tv has gotten bigger uh sling tv is still there playstation view there's a lot of different services out there that are capable of hosting indycar content but it's the key the critical component here is are you going to have it just be on one or are you going to try to negotiate where you can have it on multiple platforms? And I think that's that's where, where you need to be. I mean, if, if you look at Sling, you know, Sling has the ability to show you the network television. You know, maybe not your local affiliate, but uh, they've got some of the network programming on there. So Now, Mike, you have thoughts on the, on the TV package or, or what we might see? Uh, you know, I, I guess I guess we, we can assume that NBC is the other contender, the other of the two finalists. Uh, and ABC has, I guess, said they, could, they put as many as 10 races on ABC, which would be... 10 races for fans to bitch about but <laughs> so yeah I, I still think it's going to end up with 
you know, NBC maybe with a streaming option similar to Formula One, uh, you know, on top of that. I feel like, you know, they're kind of, IndyCar might be keeping ABC just, you know, in the running to make sure they're getting the best deal possible. And I think I had read that somebody at NBC said at least 10 to 11 races would be on NBC with the rest being on, you know, NBCSN. Uh, and then if you have some sort of streaming option, I think, you know, for all of the the crap we give Formula One for various things, their over-the-top streaming package where you pretty much get everything for 8 or 9 or $10 a month, um, you know, is kind of a, a good add-on. And if that averages out to about 100 bucks a year, I have no problem paying that to, you know, be able to watch a race or a practice if I don't, you know, if I'm not able to be near my TV. So uh, I'm all for some sort of combination of the two. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you had a, a you know a pay a paid service that would appeal to the fans who, like you and me, want all the racing coverage or not, but it's not gonna it's not gonna attract anybody new who's flipping channels and happens to catch IndyCar qualifying on network TV and says, "Oh, what's this?" You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think NBC needs to do will need to do you know some extra um, marketing, but I think. You know they'll be in a, a better position to do that with with the good racing this year. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, the pro- the product is definitely great, right, Joey? I mean, I, I'm obviously going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In IndyCar, say your checks in the mail, Joey. But uh, but but I know that but I know that's honest is from the heart because because I, I agree with you and I know Mike and Chris, you do too. That I think this year is going to be pretty incredible. So and and as with every year in IndyCar. We look forward to the uh, the Indianapolis 500, um, and we've got a field where we may have actual bumping this year. And we had the discussion last week on the show about you know to bump or not to bump. Should you should you just if you got 35 cars, just go ahead and let them all race? And and of all people that you wouldn't expect to agree with that, I was reading uh, Robin Miller's mailbag today. And Robin actually said, "There's no drama in bumping one or two cars out. He's, we should let let all 35 races. There's 35, and that's coming from Mister Tradition Old Timer right there. What do you think? Yeah, Bump. I disagree. Yeah, I, yeah. I, we need bumping. Sorry, well, we've been craving this for about three or four years. Yeah, um, yeah. and the one time that NASCAR doesn't have it." is our one chance in IndyCar to see this really take hold and to give an advantage to qualifying, you have a chance to, to do something that NASCAR hadn't had. So any chance you have to beat your competitor, uh, you've got to take advantage of. And I think that this is a scenario that if there's one thing that, that IndyCar does win at, it's the month of May. And, you know, you've got to maximize it for everything it's worth. And, and bump day is certainly the one of the most drama-filled things I can can remember as a kid and it's been it's been rough the last couple of years that i haven't been able to see it it doesn't take away from the fact that i have enjoyed the show because the racing product is still second to none but uh you know bump day's always been fun and i'm an advocate because it it adds drama to it and anytime you got drama you're got people invested so i think we need it absolutely now christopher i'll give you one shot of this before we kind of go around the table for final thoughts um I rewatched part of 2011's Bump Day recently, and it was pretty, pretty amazing. The kind of drama that you have when Marco Andretti gets bumped out by Alex Lloyd, who, if Marco makes his run, he bumps out Hunter Ray. If he doesn't, Hunter Ray gets in, and that kind of drama we've been craving, and now we finally have it. And 
I'm thrilled that we finally have this going again. Um, let's just hope that in the coming years we can get to 40 you know, cars or more going for 33 spots. Yeah, and then Hunter Ray ended up buying his way in anyway. If you recall, yep, 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 which you know, which is cause for more drama and more stuff to talk about. So, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the 500 in a big way. You know, I'm mean, the last, uh, God, the last six or eight have been just fantastic races, and looking looking forward to another one with a very very different feel with this new car and with uh, with a full field of um, of you know just all solid contenders so but uh, we've just got a couple minutes left in the show uh mike i want to thank you for coming on um let us know where we can hear uh your podcast and just give us give a uh, your final thought for the evening yeah you know thank you very much for having me on um final thoughts i think a great first race and is going to lead to many more great races this year which is only going to help marketing and and you know really getting the sport back to where it's uh you know to where it's been which which will help tv numbers and everything else increase um i'll leave it at that and you can find uh pit lane parlay on itunes and google play and Castbox and pretty much everywhere also on wildfire uh radio which is wildfireradio.com uh, i'll put out the links on the on my twitter page uh, at pit lane parlay p-a-r-l-e-y uh, and again, Frank, thank you very much. All right, thank you, Mike. Uh, Christopher, your final thought for the evening? Uh, it was a heck of a weekend. Um, no complaints on how it went. I just wish we could have, had, except for you know, winning a green flag finish at the end there. Um, glad everybody got it safely, and rest in peace, Stephen Hawking. All right, Joey, you got one yeah, last I mean- thought? Yeah, I think I'm I'm intrigued to see what Robert Wickens is made of in the bounce back. Uh, we saw what he was able to do when he had no pressure on him to perform, but now there's going to be expectations that he's going to start to be a consistent qualifier in the Firestone Fast Six. There's going to be expectations for podiums and maybe even wins, even though he's a rookie. He's not a natural rookie in, in the sense that uh, Mateus Sester other guys are. So interested to see the bounce back, especially since the bounce back next comes at an oval. So, uh that's probably my final thought. I think we're in for a hell of a year. Formula One coming up in a couple weeks to start their season. NASCAR's in California. Gray wanted me to let you know he's picking Blaney uh, for the race. Um, Richards picking Chase Elliott. Um, I'll just go with Harvick goes four in a row. You guys want to take a NASCAR pick or not? You don't have to. It's our IndyCar show. Nah. I'll say I'll say Kyle Busch for the win. I'll pick Chase Elliott to finish second again. All right. You don't get to pick who finished second, though. So, <laughs> Mike, you want to take a pick for the NASCAR race just for the uh, pool? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll go with Ryan Blaney. All right. Fantastic. Okay. So, guys, thanks for coming on. Um, I want to thank Hoobazoo Radio Network. Um, this is Drafting the Circuits. I want to thank the listeners. Thank iHeartRadio. Thank you, Christopher, Joey, Mike, and all the listeners. Guys, have a great evening. Good night. Website. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 